hands going up all the place. Get here tonight. It's going to be happening here tonight. Laying hands on people. Can you say amen? amen? Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I am, he asked them. He didn't ask them, who do you say that I am? He asked them, who do men say that I am? And their response was, go to the next scripture, TJ. Their response was, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elias and others, one of the prophets. Another verse in the Bible, I believe it's in uh, Luke, says some say Jeremiah and then some of the prophets. But let me tell you something today, church. Those men that are saying these things, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias. That is a direct wrong thing to say. In those men saying that, they're trying to refer to the Messiah as the same as some of these men. They do not know who the Messiah was then if they're thinking he's John the Baptist. Now, there's two sides to this coin. You can say, man, what a life John the Baptist lived. What a life that the others and the, and the prophets lived. How great their life must have been, and that's true. But then there's a flip side to that coin, and that flip side is this. Those people that believed that Christ was them was missing the Messiah. They saw good men and they, uh, they took Christ and made him as good as those men, but Christ was better than those men. You might be looking today and you might have gotten saved and you're serving Jesus Christ to the, to, to the level that you want to be and you're not actually serving Jesus Christ. People were looking at Christ and trying to compare him to other men on this earth. In doing that, you're not serving Christ if you're trying to compare Him to other things in your life, other things that have walked on this earth. Let me tell you something. The Pope is nowhere near Jesus Christ. People gathered by the millions to see the Pope when he was in this country just a week ago, kissing the ring on his finger, bowing down before him, taking his word as the gospel as if nothing else mattered. And I'm here to tell you right now, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of God triumph anything that the Pope might have said and the garbage that he is spewing through his mouth as he stood up and he said that Jesus Christ on the cross and his death was a failure. No, it wasn't a failure. It might have been to you, you old sourpuss, but it wasn't to me. His death on the cross was life, liberty, and salvation. People are going to flock all over the place to see the Pope. They're going to call out of work. They're going to take vacation time, and they won't show up at their own churches on Sunday morning. It ain't worth it to us to go hear the pastor preach. It's not worth it to go to the altar. It's not worth it to me to hear and feel and sense the presence of God. But let a man walk down the street, the paparazzi in their red carpet. It's time the churches in America today started rolling out the red carpet for the presence of God and get down on their knees and get right with God. Sit there and say that the work of the cross in Jesus was a failure. Man, if I would have been there, I would have smacked that old man up alongside the head. Tell them to get right with God. You ain't got the power to forgive nothing in my life. Take your confessional and throw it in the river. The only person that's got the power to forgive me of my sins is Jesus Christ. All right. Verse 29. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Those that walked 
and talked with Jesus. He's talking to his disciples here. Those that walked and talked with him on a daily basis knew who he was. It is those that wasn't with him on a daily basis. Those that didn't sup with him. Those that didn't communicate with him. Those that didn't talk with him. Those that didn't see his works operable with their own eyes. They didn't see their, his works operable in their lives. Those are the ones that didn't know who he was. Those are the ones that thought he was John the Baptist. But look what they say here in verse 29. And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Church, if you're not walking with him on a daily basis, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not seeing his works manifested in your life, how can you stand up and say, He is the Christ? Why? Because you don't have a relationship with him. You're no different than those that said he's John the Baptist. You're no different than those that said he's Elias. You're no different than those that says he's some of the prophets. Why is that? Because you believe in the things that the prophets say, but you don't believe in the work of the cross. Because if you believed in the work of the cross, you would say he is the Christ and you would live it out like he was the Christ. You would live it out like he was Lord of your life. You would live it out like he was your Savior. But if you're not walking and you're not talking the cross of Jesus Christ and Calvary in your life seven days a week, 24-7, then you are no different than those that say he's John the Baptist. Amen. Verse 34 And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The rich young ruler came to Christ. He wanted all that he had. He said, I followed the law from the beginning. That's mistake number one. Yes, you followed the law, but you're not under the law anymore now. You are under grace. He couldn't let go of the law. He couldn't get, let go of the things of this world. He couldn't let go of that and understand that Christ was grace. He was mercy. He was truth. He no longer had to hold on to those things. And then his next Satan, the next sentence that Christ says, give all you have to the poor and come follow me, showed the extent that he was attached to the law because he couldn't let go of the things of the world that he had. He could not pick up his cross. He could not follow after Christ. Why? Because he could not deny himself. He could not put the things of this world that meant so much to him away. He could not throw them onto the shelf. He could not put them away. He had to hold on to those things. He didn't want to let them go. Brother Mark, be ready tonight. We're going to do a tag team message tonight. You and I are both going to be preaching. God just told me to tell you that. So anyway, God... Is sitting there and he told the rich young, Christ told the rich young ruler to follow him and he couldn't do it because he couldn't let go of the things of the world. What is it in your life today that you can't let go of that is keeping you from picking up your cross and denying him and going forward in Jesus Christ? What is it in your life today that you don't want to let go? Sometimes God's trying, we're trying to overcome it and then there's those times that we do not want to let it go. And you've heard me say this a thousand times, that ain't for all you, I know you guys are right, this is for the podcast. Which, by the way, somehow our podcast is blowing up the place, and in Seattle, Washington, of all places, it is spiking off the charts. I don't know who in Seattle likes the message, but they like it. Last week we had 43 people listen to our podcast in Seattle, Washington. So praise God. If you're listening this week from Seattle, Washington, praise God. Bless you. Everybody give them a hand. <clears throat> What does it mean, pastor, to deny oneself? It means not my will, but God's. It means not my needs, but God's. 
It means not my wants, but God's. It means on Sunday morning, instead of staying home and watching the football game, I get up and go to church. It means on Sunday night, if there's a football game on, I go to church. It means if I'm too tired on Wednesday night, I get up and go to church. Why? Because in going to church, I'm educating myself in the Word of God. And when I work to educate myself in the Word of God, I'm building myself up spiritually. I'm building up my faith so that when the tests and the trials of the devil come, they try to drag me away from the cross of Christ of Calvary, that faith is there that I might overcome it. It means that everything else in this world pales in comparison to the cross, to Jesus Christ and my walk with Him. The Bible says that in the last days there'll be many that say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And he's going to say, depart from me, I knew you not. And it'll be at that moment that every time's going to come back to your mind like a ringing bell and it'll probably never leave it as you sit there in, in hell and rot away. It's going to come back to your mind. You remember when you skipped out on church? Remember when you didn't pray? Remember when you didn't worship me? Remember when you didn't love me? You came and you went through the motions and God's saying, I'm rising up a church today. I'm tired of people going through the motions. I'm tired of people making a mockery of my son and the work of the cross. It's time those believers stood up and began to preach the word of God to the nations because we are in the last days and my coming is soon. Amen. What does it mean to take up my cross? It means you show your submission even when things get difficult in your life. We've all had difficult times. I've had difficult times. I know Zach's had difficult times. If you're a person in here and you say, Brother Cowan, I've never had a difficult time, guess what? You're going through difficult times. You ain't nothing but a liar. You ain't nothing but a fool. Oh, my life's great. I don't ever have a difficult time. Right, and that's how, you know, if, if that's you and you're sitting there, he don't know my life. I ain't never had a difficult time. That tells me you ain't right with God then because the enemy ain't coming against you. Amen. Somebody say truth. truth. Deny oneself. Pick up the cross. Pick up our cross, submission. Do you realize what the cross represented back in those times? The cross represented shame, punishment, agony, death. Pick up that cross regardless of everything that that represents because that's what it represented then. But now to the believer in Jesus Christ, it represents life, freedom, deliverance, eternal life, repentance, redemption, atonement. It means all those things in our life, yet we cast it away like it's a piece of wood and doesn't mean anything. We wear it around our necks. We hang it on our church walls. We put it on our refrigerators at home. We hang it from the mirrors of our car. But does it mean anything to us? Or have we diluted it? It's value, diluted its purpose in our life because we throw it up everywhere, no longer caring what it stood for, but just going forth with our life as we have it. And every once in a while, hey man, nice cross. Amen. The cross of Calvary and everything it represents should mean so much to us. All God is saying is love me, deny yourself, pick up the cross. Why don't my people love me anymore? Why don't they worship me? Why don't they come to the altars? Why don't they talk to me on a daily basis? I love talking to them. I want to hear their voices. I want to bless them. Yet they turn from me for the things of the world. Television, athletics, whatever it might be. They run from me. They don't talk to me anymore. I want my bride. I love my bride. I'm coming back for my bride. Will you be the bride? Verse 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the world and lose his own soul? All the things that we store up on this earth, 
All the things that we bring into our lives that we think are so important, what is it going to matter when you're laying in your coffin? When you're laying in the grave? When you're six feet under, what is that stuff going to matter to you? It's not going to matter a thing. The only thing that's going to matter at that point is who you served your life for on this earth. Well, I want a good life for my children after I'm gone. Then bring them into the house of God. Get them into the altars. Get them into church. Because I'm telling you right now, that's going to mean a whole lot more than a $100,000 check they're going to get when you're gone. Yeah, you say that now, but I bet if you had the opportunity to do it for your kids, yeah, God bless me with it, I probably would. But I would teach them stewardship with it as well in the house of God. Well, I don't want to upset my child. I don't want them to be mad at me. Hey, who cares? They're going to be mad at you for something else anyway. Get them in the house of God. I'm going to tell you right now, every one of my kids, I've got one that's married. I've got one that's 19. She ain't got a choice. You're living under my roof. You're in church on Sunday. You don't want to come to church on Sunday? You better catch a plane to your mama's house. And all three of those boys out there are going to be in church every Sunday. And I don't care if Jude's kicking and screaming the whole way. He's coming. Well, I don't want to upset them. Then they'll be mad at me. God called you to be a parent, not a friend. God called, let me say that again. God called you to be a parent, not a friend. Your kid will get over it. Let me, let me tell you something else. They're going to love you for it someday. You don't know how many times my oldest daughter calls me up. Dad, I thank you so much for taking me to church, putting me in the house of God, because there's been tough times that come, and they're going through tough times right now with their mother-in-law. But I'll tell you what, she's got stage four cancer, but I'm going to tell you right now, it is in those tough times that they lean on their faith in Jesus Christ. As the Word says, it shall not depart from them. They can fall back on that Word of God. Your money might fail. The stock market might fail. Everything in this world might fail. But one thing that will not fail, and that is the Jesus Christ, the King of the world, Jesus Christ, he won't fail. I got a hair on my tongue when I started talking. I don't know what this towel was used for. Verse 38. It tastes like tonic, too. Hair tonic, just kidding. Verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Woo! Somebody say glory. glory. He will be ashamed of you if you're ashamed of him. Oh, I just sit there and I'm quiet in church because I don't want to be embarrassed and I'm worried that, that a sister so-and-so over there is going to look at me and then she'll go to work and tell everybody that I'm hollering and shouting at church and I don't want that because then they're all going to think I'm a weirdo. Yeah. Hey, everybody at church thinks you're a weirdo because you ain't hollering and shouting. <laughs> well, do you talk about God on the job? No, I don't want to offend anybody. No, they ain't got a problem offending you. I don't want to offend anybody. But you'll walk into the church and not shake somebody's hand because you don't like them. You'll walk into the church and sit down and not sing because you don't like the song. Who do you think you're offending then? You're offending God. He don't care what you sound like. He don't care what the words of the song are. He just wants to hear your praise. Well, I'll offend God all day long by staying home. 
Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is in him you have eternal life. It is in him you've been forgiven of your sins. Don't be the one that's standing there and he's ashamed of you on that day and has denied you on that day because you denied him on this earth. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. See, this is what happens when I don't get any sleep all weekend long. First Peter 5 and 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, hold on. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? That's right. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? That's right. So what's Satan trying to do here as a roaring lion? He's, that's deceit. That's deceit. Trying to sneak in as our Lord and Savior. Why? He's trying to be deceitful so you'll be ashamed of him when you get here. Walks about seeking whom he may devour. Why is he seeking whom he may devour? So that he can get you to be ashamed and that he can get you to deny him. And when you do those things, now he's got you. See, when Christ came into your life, he set your life into perfect order. Now, from that point, when you receive Christ into your life, you are in the perfect order of God, and you've stepped into his perfect will. And from the moment you accept him into your heart, the moment he comes into your life and transforms you, and now his Holy Spirit lives in you, now you've been redeemed, you've been atoned for your sin, there's been atonement for your sins, now you're in his perfect will. And through the next however many years you're on this earth, it is up to you to stay in his perfect will, and it is up to Satan to try to get you to sway out of that perfect will. From day one, that's his job after you receive Christ. He ain't worried about you before you're saved. I'm going to tell you right now, Satan ain't coming against you before you're saved. He's already got you. Why waste time on you if he's got you? But once you get saved, now he begins to seek whom he may devour. And what happens when he seeks you and he gets a hold of you? He messes up the perfect will of God in your life. Now it is up to you to find your way back to Christ, ask for forgiveness of what you've done, and hopefully you haven't messed up that perfect will. But if you have, now you begin to step into the permissive will because you've done cast the perfect will to the side. All right, are you with me on that? So he's trying to disrupt the perfect will that God has in your life. There's a perfection, there's an order, there's a reason God has it that way. It's the smoothest route you're going to take if you can overcome the enemy. It's the smoothest route. It doesn't mean it's, now, smooth doesn't mean easy. We were down there in Brown County this weekend, and there was a lot of smooth roads. But you had to drive them about 15, 20 miles an hour because they were like this all the way through the hills. It doesn't mean it wasn't a smooth ride. It was very smooth. So smooth it almost got me car sick one time. But the hills and the turns and the sharp curbs were still there. So when you're in the perfect will of God, it's going to be a smooth ride, but it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy ride. But once that perfect will is disrupted, now you've got a problem. Because now it slowly begins to tear down everything that God has done in your life, and it is up to you to get back to build it back up. You remove one thing, one, one problem in your life can lead to another, to another, to another, to another, and it begins a snowball effect till it, to the point that it's out of control and you're standing there and you're asking, what happened? 
Have you ever seen that happen in your life before? Maybe on the job or with your family? I've seen it happen all kinds of times. I got nine brothers and sisters. You sit there and you walk into a family outing or whatever, and one, and one person walks in out of ten with a bad attitude, and you know within an hour and a half there's going to be some jawing going on. Especially if dad's not there. I don't care if my sisters are 50 years old, man. When dad comes in and hollers, they still sit down and shut up. I don't. I just leave the room. <laughs> but I don't care if my dad was 80 years old in a, in, in a wheelchair and somebody changing his diaper. If he hollered, everybody still sit down and shut up. Amen. Now, if he listens to his dad, I ain't saying you're going to be wearing a diaper someday. So don't be on the phone ringing me up later on today. But there is always that authoritative figure in our life, and it is in the form of God. And when the disruption comes in our life and he comes in and puts his foot down, you better recognize. Because if my sisters don't recognize it, or my brothers, usually my brother John, I'm going to say that right now, everybody's got a John in their life who doesn't care, thinks he's going to buck the system, thinks he's going to do what he wants to do, and then he's usually humbled. Too many times John's been humbled. I'm going to humble John this afternoon, by the way, just in case anybody wants to know. He sent me a couple text messages over the weekend. I didn't answer him. He decided to get upset and start mouthing off on I didn't even respond to him. I'm going to humble that young boy this afternoon. John, if you're listening, I'm coming for you, buddy. <laughs> but that's what happens when God... Daddy, the father, the king comes on the scene. Now he makes a statement, and it's up to the believer to recognize it and set their life in order, or you can buck against them. You can turn and go the other direction, and God saved the souls of those that turn against God. I'm going to close with a story that I hope I get right. In the late 1800s, as settlers began moving west, Gene, this story is for you. I wasn't going to put this story in the mess. I thought, you know, Gene would like this story. So this story is for you. The settlers began to move west, and as they did, they began to homestead all across the western part of the United States, out toward Yellowstone Park and everything. And the wolves were coming in and eating the cattle. So they began shooting and killing all the wolves at will to eliminate them so that they wouldn't kill all their cattle. To the point that out in the Yellowstone National Park area, because of visitors coming in and the settlers, they eliminated all the wolves in the area. There were no wolves. There was a few outliers, maybe one here or one there. But they eliminated all the wolves. By 1925, 26 time frame, the wolves in Yellowstone National Park were gone. Because of that, the deer population overgrew. Deer were everybody, were everywhere. Pat would have had a field day out there, Taylor. Deer were everywhere, and because of this, the, the deer began to eat all the vegetation and strip it all away from Yellowstone National Park. Well, because of all the vegetation was gone, a lot of the rodents and, and all the small creatures and stuff began to leave. And because they began to leave, all the birds began to leave Yellowstone National Park. And as the winds and the storms would come through, it was removing all the topsoil and everything else from Yellowstone National Park all the way to the point that it changed the direction of the river that ran through there. The trees weren't growing as tall as they were anymore. The bushes were gone. Yellowstone National Park was becoming a desolate place, and they couldn't figure out why this was happening. Then in, in the late 1980s, they began to slowly introduce wolves back into Yellowstone Park. Eighteen of them, to be exact. The first year, the second year, I believe it was six. 
but they slowly began to introduce wolves back into Yellowstone Park. And because of that, they began to kill some of the deer population. And because the deer population was now being killed, the grass began to grow back because there wasn't as many deer now, so the vegetation was given a chance to grow. Because the vegetation was being given a chance to grow, the ground cover was there for the rodents, and the rodents were coming back now. And because the rodents were coming back now, and, for, and, and what the rodents do is they get underneath the, 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 the roots and stuff of the trees, and because they're down there and they're giving space and water gets in, the tree roots were able to grow, and now the trees began to grow grow taller again. Berries came back on the trees. Because the berries came back on the trees, the bears came back. And the way that the river flowed through Yellowstone National Park ceased to change and began to stay its course. All because why? Because they reintroduced the wolves back into Yellowstone National Park. Now, I'm sure there's some parts of this story that I forgot, but that's okay. I've gotten the main point. Everybody understand what I'm saying? They took away the wolf out of the park. When they took away the wolf out of the park, desolation and destruction took place. And once they reintroduced the wolves in the late 1980s, by 1995 now, order had been restored to Yellowstone National Park. What are you trying to say, Brother Cal? What I'm trying to say is this. When you remove God from your life, desolation slowly begins to happen. You might not see it overnight. You might not see it the next day, but there's a slow falling away that begins to take place. Turmoil begins to enter into your life. What seems like just a small thing here, small thing there begins to snowball to the point where it's total desolation and there's only one thing that can bring you back and that's reintroduce God back into your life. The same way the wolf was brought back into your life, you reintroduce God back into your life, and now that joy slowly begins to come back. That happiness becomes back. Things begin to become smooth again. Not always easy like the roads that I was on this weekend, but they are still smooth, and you can, you can maneuver through them. You can handle the highways and the byways of life that you go down that might have problems and troubles. Why? Because you've reintroduced God back into your life. Now, let's go back to the very beginning of this message again. Whom do they say that I am? John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Esaias. You know what that is? That's individuals that have removed God from their life, and now they're looking to man or somebody else or something else out there to restore that order. There's nothing that man can do on this earth that will restore order in your life. It's got to be Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, whose blood your sins were atoned for. And when you introduce him back into your life, that desolation begins to eradicate itself. Those problems begin to go to the wayside. But church introducing, they could have introduced the wolves for a year and then pulled them out. And guess what? They would have been right back where they started from. They could have introduced the wolves for five years and pulled them back and the desolation would have started over and over again. They could go out to Yellowstone Park tomorrow and remove the wolves from them and guess what would happen? Desolation would start again. When you introduce God into your life, quit taking him out because you think you've got it all figured out. Quit removing him from your life because you think there's a better way because every time you remove him from your life, you're going to have to bring him back because the desolation is going to start again. It's inevitable. It's inevitable, church. You take those wolves out, I don't care what you do, that park is going to begin to slide again. 
And it's no different with our lives. You take God out, whether you're 20, whether you're 50, or whether you're 80, and you are going to start to go into a state of desolation and apostasy. And I'm here to tell you today, church, now is not the time that you want to be falling away from grace. Now is not the time you want to be falling away from God. We are in the end times. The Lord shall be returning. And, and if he doesn't return, then we're in a time and a day and day where you can walk into job and be shot tomorrow. You don't know when your last day on this earth is going to be. And who wants to be in a state of desolation away from God when that bullet fires or that trumpet sounds and we look to heaven and he's calling his church away. I don't want to be the one that's looking up and seeing those brothers and sisters in Christ that I've been sitting next to in church, that I've been serving next to, rising up into the clouds, meeting him in the air while I'm stuck here on this earth because I couldn't get up and go to church on Sunday morning or on Sunday night. The Bible says that in the last days there'll be a great falling away, and I believe that, and I believe we're seeing that today. We're seeing churches accept homosexuality. We're falling in love with the Pope. We're accepting abortion. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to see that accepted in here, and you're not going to see it accepted in heaven either. What is Christ saying today? He's saying get back to the cross and eliminate the desolation in your life. You got problems in your life today. You got health problems. You got financial problems. You got mental problems. You got whatever problem it might be, spiritual problems. Get back to the cross because that's the only answer you got. You can go pay a shrink $150,000. He might medicate you for a moment, but eventually that drug's going to wear off and you're going to have to get to the cross. Your answer is not in the things of this world. Well, that's easy for you to say. No, it ain't. I got problems just like everybody else. But I bring them to the cross. I bring them to God. Let's all stand. I'm not even going to say every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. As Brother TJ begins to play the music, these altars are open. These altars are open this morning for you, the song, we, we Bow Down. These altars are open this morning. Come to them. Introduce the wolf back into your life. Introduce God back into your life. Lay it on the line tonight, this morning. Lay it on the line. No longer, God, am I going to sit back and try to figure it out myself. No longer am I going to rely on mom and dad to solve my situation. But today, God, today I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to skip out on the things of the kingdom of God anymore. Today I'm coming back to you. Today I'm turning it over to you. My problems, whatever they might be, God, today they're yours. My unhappiness today, they're yours. My marriage, God, today, it's yours. My children, God, today, they're yours. My grandchildren, God, today, they're yours. That's where it's at. As simple as it sounds, that's where it's at. Lord, we come to you this day, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we lay our life down at your feet for the work of the cross in your son Jesus. He suffered and he died, God, so that I might have life, so that I don't have to be desolate, so I don't have to be like a park. God, he laid down his life 
so that my grandchildren don't have to suffer, so that my kids don't have to suffer, so that in my agony and in my despair, God, I've got somebody that I can turn to. I've got somebody I can run to. I got a cross, and at that cross is the feet of Jesus, and I can turn it all over to him so I no longer have to worry about it. God, I cast my cares upon you this day. I cast my cares upon you, God. I reintroduce the power, the might, the glory, the mercy, and the grace into my life, into my home, into my job, into my marriage, God. I'm tired of fighting with my spouse and feeling like I'm pulling teeth all the time, God. I give it to you. Take it. I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't handle my boss anymore. Take him. I can't handle my parents anymore, God. Take it. Lord, give them the strength. Give them the ability, God, to deny themselves. Pick up their cross and follow you, God. And follow you, Lord. God, I will follow you to the ends of the earth, Lord. And if it cost me my life, God, I will lay it down for you. I will give it up the same way Christ gave up his life for me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. Turn it up, TJ. Holy, 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 we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. We cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, holy, holy. You may be seated for a moment.